You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Welcome, my friends, to episode 193 of American Sex Podcast. So we have missed you. Oh, my goodness. It has been a busy summer and so much has changed. I got a lot to catch you up on. But real quick, let me tell you about the episode. We are talking safe words. And not just like any, oh, oh, this is what a safe word is. It is a deep dive that lays out the framework for how to go about customizing your kink and BDSM in any aspect, safe words or not, anything. Um, And how to evaluate how customizable a particular thing in kink actually is? How do you analyze it? How do you know if you're changing something that's there because it's there to keep you safe? It, it, it's a lot of a really, really good stuff. I do suggest I have a link in the show notes of an article that I just recently wrote on Safe Words. It's a great companion because it's a very well-rounded Safe Words 101 where this conversation kind of picks and chooses different aspects but doesn't give you the whole the whole everything. I also have my negotiation mini workbook link in the episode description as well because a lot of what this touches on this episode has to do with negotiation or subjects that are adjacent to BDSM negotiation. So that'll be helpful for you to have too. So let's catch up. Uh, So much has been going on with Ken and I. I know we usually call this part of the podcast washing the balls. It's our housekeeping. Um, So yeah, this is a lot. Our balls got real, real dirty over the summer. Oh, and I probably didn't mention our guest is actually me. That's why I just kind of glossed over it. Ken will catch you on the next episode. He'll be here soon. But this, yeah, no guest bio to read because you know me. Anyway, um, so what has been going on over the summer? I have been so damn busy. Like, I am exhausted. Oh, my God. First, though, it's a good kind of exhausted. I got to give a plug for this. And it's a legit one. One of the things that's been keeping me so busy over the summer is Zipper Magazine. If you don't know Zipper, I am the editor in chief of Zipper Magazine. I know, right? It is a brand new online publication dedicated to all things kink that I 
helped develop alongside Clips for Sale. We launched in June, just before American Sex Podcast went on hiatus. So I want to give that a mention just in case you missed it. It's been a long summer or you're a new listener. There's so many amazing educators that have written articles and created all sorts of different multimedia content for us like Midori, Melina Williams-Haas, Pup Amp and Mr. Christopher from What's the Safe Word, Evie Lupine, Kitty Stryker. There are a bunch more. Oh, me too. Also me. I would love for you to give Zipper Magazine a follow on social media. We're on the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebook or visit ZipperMagazine.com. All those links are in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to become a contributor, We'd love to hear what you got. So there is a Become a Contributor page on the website as well. Visit my bio for all these links. So what else has been keeping me so damn busy? Well, as you remember, if if I'm recalling correctly, this happened just before we went on hiatus. Yeah, the damn Supreme Court overturned Roe. You know, still all the anti-trans legislation continues. Just heard our friend Lindsey Graham, and I'm saying friend sarcastically. He is not our friend. Introduced some like national abortion ban bill. Probably won't pass, but it's, I mean, it just shows me they are still at it. They are still relentless. You know, and then I'm looking at the grocery store, a pack of chicken thighs at the grocery store. Why is it $19? Why? You know, there's there's so much racism, every other ism too. You know, basically everything is awful and it continued to be that way throughout the summer. It even intensified, you know. So in a flash of genius or maybe desperation or maybe a touch of both, Ken and I have decided to move out of the United States. Yep. Me, Ken, and our two adult kids, we plan to accomplish this within the next year or so, give or take. Uh, And we're looking at Portugal. Portugal, we got our eye on you. Yeah, I have never had a desire to move outside of the U.S. before in my life. None of us have. None of us. I don't know if it's instinct or delusion, but there is something in my gut telling me it's like, hey, now is the time in all caps. Now do it now. And all of us have that same gut feeling that we just cannot explain. So yeah, life is an adventure. We're doing it. So this next year is going to be a roller coaster ride. You know, and that is an understatement. So far we've selected our location. We have juggled lots of logistics. We know how the the visa process works and exactly what we need to do, some of which we've already started. Uh, We're currently in a mad dash to save as many dollars as we can because it is fucking expensive to move internationally. This is going to be a bit of a financial struggle, but like, knock wood, I think we can do it. So yeah, why? Why exactly? Obviously, everything I've already mentioned, all of the bad things. And I I really don't believe at this point that voting blue is going to cut it. I I will vote blue, absolutely. Uh, But it might help. But I don't think it's going to turn the ship around, at least not fast enough 
or not drastically enough for any of us to feel safe here anymore or to feel like we can exist here anymore, like we can afford to exist here without working ourselves even sicker than we already are. Like it is a struggle. Uh, And I'm hoping that I'm catastrophizing a bit. You know, I'm hoping that things don't get really bad. But if we wait to find out how bad things are going to get and try to make that decision, then uh, we're going to run out of time. We're going to run out of money more than time. We're going to deplete our financial resources you know, also gives more time for something to go catastrophically wrong with our finances. You know, like many Americans, we are one financial emergency away from complete disaster. And as it is, it's going to take a financial miracle for us to pull off this move, even starting right now. But like I said, as things look, it's like barely reachable. We could just get there, but it's still reachable. It's like that now, but it might not be for long. So sort of now or never, you know, and the working ourselves sick part, all four of us have legit health issues. If you follow me on Twitter, I talk about it a lot there, so I'm not going to rehash it here. But one of my kids and myself, we have had significant symptoms all our lives, you know, some kind of autoimmunity, something or other mystery, but it always blown off told, you know, it's anxiety, you're imagining it. Oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. Bodies don't do that. You're, you know, you know, the drill. If you're a woman and or woman of color, you have heard it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But whatever's going on with us has gotten significantly worse over the last two years. And even can during the same time period, has developed some pretty significant autoimmune mystery illness symptoms, something. And for him, that's completely new. Like he has never felt like this before. Uh, my other child also has some chronic mystery illness, also blown off by doctors. You know, you know the deal. Knock wood, she hasn't had a flare up in quite some time. So fingers crossed. But needless to say, medical insurance is a huge issue for us. We never know from year to year, even month to month, if we'll be able to afford insurance coverage. And we go through long periods of being uninsured, which is always a gamble. And, you know, sometimes we lose that gamble. And also all of us have developed with whatever is going on, uh, major food sensitivities, and they are directly exacerbating our issues, or at least go hand in hand with our exacerbated issues. All of us to one degree or another seem to have like wrestling with some sort of mast cell activation syndrome, something or other inflammation, not sure. If you're familiar with like long COVID, MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome is often involved in long COVID for people. So it's something similar you know, we're not sure if it could be long COVID. We're not even sure if we had COVID. If we did, it was in January of 2020 before tests. It sure seemed kind of COVID-y. I mean, I've never been sick like that. It was, mm, but we'll never know. Uh, And that's neither here nor there. We just know like right now we feel like shit. And uh, it seems to be hitting me the hardest in like the allergy department. I carry an EpiPen now. And my biggest culprit is uh, food chemicals. And one in particular that's in almost all processed foods, and even involved in the processing of a lot of natural products and not required to be on the label. And I am constantly acquiring new you know, mast cell, quote, allergies 
Um, the latest is tap water. Not even kidding. Like t- fucking tap water. Are you kidding me? I can't even brush my teeth with tap water. It is ridiculous. Purified water, bottled water for every. I mean, it's like, ah, so I won't bore you with that, but it's, it's been a lot. Let me tell you. So the level of processing in European foods is way more amenable to my health and to the rest of the family. And then you got the healthcare thing, you know, socialized medicine, no or low cost access to public universities in all of the EU countries. My kids always thought the cost of of college was completely unattainable, you know, and now they're like, what? Um, And also just living in a place that doesn't have the political shit show brink of fascism vibe going on here in the U.S. And then the cost of living difference. Like in Vegas in the pandemic, there was no restriction on how much landlords could raise rent. And like now our rent is incomprehensibly re-fucking-diculous. And outside the U.S., we could cut our living expenses by at least half, probably more. Probably we'll be able to buy a home, right? And like we have no retirement. The 2008 recession wiped out my 401k. Both of us don't have retirement. And for me, I kept saying, oh, yeah, it'll get better. I'll be able to save again soon. Since 2008, I've been saying this, have not been able to. So, yeah, living in Europe is kind of a retirement plan, too. You know, just a couple people have given me shit about it, which is nice. I mean, not nice that people gave me shit, but nice that most people haven't. And uh, they're all like, good for you. I wish I could go. Um and, you know, the couple of people that did were more, you know, not close people, people randomly on social media, like, oh, my God, if you aren't here to pitch in and, and lend your voice, what are we all going to do? And I'm like, OK, first, this country is literally, literally trying to kill me through a number of different methods. Uh, and B, even if I move across the Atlantic Ocean, like I'm still going to have my loud ass mouth. I'm still going to have the internet and I'm still going to have U.S. voting rights. So I'll also have more time and energy and spoons and better health to like focus on those things. So shh, don't give me shit. Quiet. Uh, So with that said, what do we do with American Sex Podcast? It is American Sex Podcast. Will we be called Portuguese Sex Podcast? No, we will not. But we have been wrestling with the name American Sex for a while now, for a good couple of years, right? The original intent behind the name American Sex was that we were focusing on our, and when I say our, like as Americans, our unique flavor of fucked up in our heads about sex and about shame because of how twisted the values and the laws are in this country and how everything we're taught about pleasure and sex and identity is a logical propaganda designed to keep us from accessing our own pleasure. And well, why is that? Because that ideology keeps our oppressive systems alive, right? It keeps us from fully realizing that there's a different way to live. It keeps us from realizing that we all have power and collectively we have even more power and that being exploited and pitted against each other the way we are every day in this country is complete bullshit, You know, in the U.S., we have our own unique flavor of sexual repression, of shame, of respectability politics, and it's all of that stuff 
and and the way we regard our sex because of that stuff that makes our situation and our take on things unique. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. But with everything the way it is now, I don't think that the name American sex reflects that anymore. And I'm wondering how likely it is, and I'm sure it is, that people will scroll by on a podcast platform and see the American and American sex, and they hear in their heads, America, right? And they assume that we're all about something that is actually the complete opposite of what we're really all about. And also with social media being as restrictive as it is and sex censorship being at an all-time high, having the word sex in our name has made us a target for social media suppression and it's only going to get worse. So we have no idea how and when and where we will go with this name change business, but the seed has been planted. We just need to make all the pieces fall into place and figure out the logistics. So maybe sometime in 2023, we'll reveal a new name. I don't know. But the thing is, it can't actually happen until we think of a new name, which has us just completely flummoxed. That's a word. I I don't know if I've ever used that word, but I just did now. But if anyone has any ideas, what, what do we call ourselves? You know, nothing with the word sex or BDSM or even kink is going to fly anymore the way social media is. The new name will have to be comprised of vanilla sounding or social media acceptable words. Like, and we just, we have no clue. But uh, that's what's been going on. And there is one other thing I quickly forgot to mention is uh, since we've been on air, August of 2017. Our release day has always been Monday mornings, and I have never been late. I've never missed one release day, by the way. Uh, but we switched it up to Friday. If you're listening on release day, you're like, oh, yeah, it's Friday. Why, why, yeah. yeah. So uh, we will be releasing on Friday. Since I do all the podcast stuff myself, like I edit, I, you know, do everything. Um, and I have no virtual assistant. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, with my schedule with Zipper Magazine, everything I'm doing Fridays just work much better for me. Mondays are a shit show. So that's it. I want to get to the good stuff. Before we do, real quick, just when you go visit those links and you get the Safe Word article and you get the um, negotiation sheet, there's also links to our Patreon, our Discord server. We'd love for you to join our sponsors and a bunch of other pertinent stuff. So that's it. That's a catch up. I know it was a long catch up, but you know, it was a lot. It was a whole summer. But let's do this. These balls are. Let's learn to customize our kink through safe words. This episode was inspired by a message that we received from Pup Cult. So shout out to Pup Cult. I'll read you the message. It says, Hi, Sunny. Your podcast is really awesome. I found you through TikTok. And actually, it was in the comments of one TikTok that led to your BDSM Myths podcast episode, which was an awesome episode. Something you mentioned in there was the cardinal rule of consent. It made me start thinking 
thinking about how in the community itself, there are so, so, so many debates about, quote, rules or what, quote, should be done, which you mentioned in that episode that kink is customizable, but some people don't believe that. I was thinking you can do an episode on safety and consent within the community and how we navigate that. Also, maybe talking about some of the debates like you must have a safe word versus it's not required or aftercare is a must versus you can consent to having no aftercare. You have to negotiate all scenes versus sometimes negotiations aren't needed and different debates like that. Maybe not taking one side or the other, but talking about the pros and cons and safety of each side of the debate. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Pup Cult. As an aside, I do also realize with my Chicago accent, it sounds like I'm saying Pup Cult, like the cult of puppies. It's C-O-L-T. I just, my mouth doesn't do that. Anyway, uh, thank you for that letter. And I think this is a fabulous thing to talk about. Not only that, I think framing this larger discussion through the dissection of safe words, that sounds a little sciencey, but you know what I'm saying. I think that's a perfect way to go about it. So, okay, kink is customizable. And as was mentioned in that message, some people think that that means we're saying, to heck with all the rules. We don't need rules. Let, you know, let everything be chaos and anarchy. And we're just going to treat people like shit and, and get hurt because we just want to have fun. And are rightfully appalled by that. But that's not what it means. Kink is customizable means thinking critically about the default rules that we have in place, understanding why they are what they are, you know, what purpose do they serve? What are those rules trying to accomplish? And then based off of whatever information you find out asking those questions, modifying those rules to custom fit your particular situation. And oftentimes when we look at the kink, you know, quote, rules in this way, we often find that the rules exist for kind of so-so reasons. Like, well, we do that because that's the way we've always done it. Or we do that because, you know, that's the way I do it. Like people might not be saying that specifically or might not really be recognizing their own bias, but that's really what they're saying. Well, we do it that way because that's the way I'm comfortable with it. And that's the only way I've known it. Sometimes we have certain rules for purposes of control, whether that is you know sinister <laughs> manipulation or we're just human beings. You know, we have power plays within different social groups, that sort of thing. Sometimes the rules exist because of social order. If we all believe the same thing, it feels good, right? We want to belong to something that has meaning. That is human nature. That is sociology. That's what humans do. And there's nothing wrong with some of those things. But what I urge people to think about is that let's recognize that some of these things that we do, even if we want to keep doing them, even if we say, well, to me, the, them's the rules and I'm going to obey whatever those rules are. 
that's a choice. That's a preference. It's not a set in stone for everybody forever and ever and ever. Amen. Right? So when we really look at life and all of the rules that we have, I'm not just talking kink, I'm talking larger life, right? Talk, think about all the rules we have, all the systems that we have in place. For the most part, they're all made up. They are not real. They are imaginary. We've heard people say the last few years with, you know, gender, that it's a social construct. Really, everything else is a social construct, too, from our identity, whether that's gender, whether that's what social group we belong to, our sexuality, etc., or relationships. What kind of relationships are we supposed to be in? Uh, How are we supposed to act in those relationships? What kind of, you know, steps do we take in our relationship? Well, first you date, then you go study, then you, right? It's all made up. Even what time we're supposed to wake up in the morning, what values we are supposed to possess that make us a, quote, good person, right? And those are usually based in capitalist ideals. Like we get up bright and early. We're, we're a go-getter. We're productive. We get a lot of stuff done. We, right? Okay. When you dig down under all of these rules, kink or otherwise, and ask yourself, what really matters when it comes to, does it really matter that like, oh, I can't wear certain kind of clothes because of the gender I am or, you know, whatever social group I belong to. No, when you dig down, what really matters are those like golden rules, right? Don't be a dick. Think of other people, not just your own ego and your own greed. Uh, Be a good community member and a world citizen. Don't lie. Don't deceive. You know, don't kill people either. Uh, Leave things better than you found them right? Leave people that you encounter in your life better than you found them. Commit to personal growth, right? Always be the best person that you can be and not the best person based on those arbitrary rules of being productive and going to college. And, you know, No, just not being a dick. That's what really matters. So, With that said, what Pop Cult was talking about, um, that golden rule of kink, that's consent, right? It doesn't matter how you go about establishing your consent, right? They're definitely best practices. I'm not saying there are not, but right, we can like customize them a little bit based on the particular situation, our relationship with that person, what works better with our communication style, right? We can tweak how we obtain and maintain our consent based on those things. So therefore, even though consent is mandatory, how we establish it is also customizable. So when I hear people say that they don't believe kink is customizable, I'll hear, because I I have like Google um, notifications set up where people talk about different things. I'll get a a little ping and be like, oh, someone's talking about kink is customizable on Reddit somewhere. Let me go see what they're talking about, you know. 
And uh, it, it, oftentimes it's the sentiment of like, these new fangled kingsters, you know, waving fist in the air. Get off my lawn, you, you TNGers with your new fangled ideas about kink being customizable and you want to throw away all the rules. And it's like, no, no, no. So when I hear that, I wonder, A, if they don't really understand what the phrase kink is customizable means, which I actually coined that phrase, so I, I should know what it means. Or B, if they really are sort of like our, our stereotypical fuddy-duddy grandparents that are like, oh, when you grow up, you must you know, go to college, get married, you know, have a good job, and uh, conform to all of these societal rules because there is no other way. So, in kink, we want to live authentically. We want to break free of the mold, so to speak, not be normative. So, that's what we're doing. We're customizing our kink. We're not abiding by so-called arbitrary rules that really don't fit us. We're thinking critically. We're making sure that we're ethical. We're making sure that, you know, no stone goes unturned when we're really thinking about what are the ethics and the logic and, you know, the, the don't be a dick factor of what we're doing, you know, what that is. But we get to customize how we go about that. So back to safe words. They were in the message that Pup Cult sent. And I think that's a good place not only to start, but to center our discussion around for this episode. Uh, you know, I'm also in the middle of writing an article right now on Safe Words for Zipper Magazine. So it's good, it's perfect timing for me. But if we look at how we might go about uh, picking apart what we already know and really asking those questions of things that seem like defaults, that seem like, well, it's just the way we do it. There's no other way. Once we go through that exercise with Safe Words, you'll be able to see it in its entirety and be able to take the way we dissect that or what that process is and apply it to other things. So I'll give you the quick summary about safe words. In a nutshell, safe words are not as deep and not as complicated as we all make them out to be. They are a simple communication tool, bottom line, and their purpose is to stop what Ever action is happening at hand. And for that safe word to also trigger a predetermined protocol. So like what we do after that safe word is called and what safe words mean, how exactly you use them, what you do after a safe word is called, all of that is up to you based on your circumstances and your situation. That's the nutshell overview. Now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're going to start with the basics and then work our ways up to the caveats and the exceptions and how to customize stuff. So most of us by now are familiar with safe words, even, you know, vanilla people, probably even our grandparents. Uh, we've heard Kevin Hart's pineapples or pineapples, like everyone knows pineapples as a safe word. And basically a safe word is during a sexual or kink encounter, and you can use them other times, but we're, we're starting simple. A word you wouldn't normally say in that situation, that when you say it, all action stops. It is a way to 
advocate for your consent, whether you're going to revoke your consent, there's something you don't want to do that's happening and you want to shut it down. Now, safe words can also be phrases. They can be nonverbal. There's all sorts of different ways that you can use them. But the important part is safe words should always be agreed upon and discussed before play begins. There's really no such thing as a universal safe word, even though you may hear people say they're universal. More on that in a minute. Typically, safe words are most useful during play that has a higher than average degree of risk, whether that's uh, physical injury, emotional or psychological triggers, that sort of thing. Or if you're doing stuff where you're really pushing boundaries, stuff that's really intense, consensual non-consent or resistant scenes, otherwise known as CNC. And those are basically any type of role play. Uh, whether it's very intense or playful, where saying no, stop it, etc. is part of the role play. So when somebody says no, you're not going to listen, because you're supposed to be saying no, and you're supposed to be protesting. So then pineapples or whatever you agree on means no. You see more and more people now using safe words and vanilla sex, which I am so digging. Do you remember being tucked into bed with your favorite story and dozing off even before you got to your favorite part? With Calm Sleep Stories, you can pause your racing thoughts, relax your mind, and enjoy the ease of drifting off to dreamland. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. If you go to Calm dot com slash sunny, you'll get a special 40% off a calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use calm to de-stress and I am one of them. I listen to the soundscapes all the time. Sometimes it's rain, sometimes it's nature sounds, and I'm a Chicago girl. Sometimes it's city sounds. I love it. And I want you to love it too. That's why for listeners of American Sex Podcast, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. Go to calm.com slash sunny for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash sunny. You see more and more people now using safe words and vanilla sex, which I am so digging. As we become more consent-minded as a culture, 
people are recognizing like vanilla sex doesn't seem like a high risk situation. Like, why would we need a safe word? But we're starting to realize like any kind of intimate encounter like that, it's good to have a fail safe for our consent. We're also recognizing more and more that safe words don't have to be for big, huge emergencies. A safe word could be, I'm getting a cramp in my toe. I have an itch on my nose. I have to go to the bathroom. And that's perfectly valid too. And of course, if safe words haven't been established, no, don't, stop, words like that. Even, I don't know, those should always be taken seriously and regarded as if they were a traditional safe word. I'm going to jump in right here with one of those debates that happens in the community. That is the, you know, we don't play with safe words, or you don't necessarily have to have a safe word if it's somebody that you trust, yada, yada, yada. (sighs) Okay, so as with everything, there's a whole lot of gray area. Sometimes when people say that, what they mean is we don't do any resistance play where stop or don't or no wouldn't mean exactly what they mean. So we don't need to have a safe word because we treat our plain language as if they were safe words. So saying that that's not playing with a safe word is a matter of semantics and splitting hairs. You still have a word that you are saying to advocate for your consent, to shut down what's happening, etc. So half of the people are going to say, well, yeah, that actually is a safe word. And half of the people are going to say, well, it's not a traditional safe word, so it's not a safe word, but it's no, and we act just like it is a safe word. Either way, they're still playing with some sort of stop word. But then we see in a lot of 24-7 power exchange dynamics or long-term dynamics where partners know each other very well, they legitimately are like, no, we don't use safe words. Or the submissive has, quote, given up their safe words as part of the dynamic, that sort of thing. While on the surface, Sure, that may be true. There are some caveats here that people really need to be aware of. In the case of a long-term 24-7 couple that really legitimately does know each other so well, let's say, you know, they've been together for 10, 12 years, they can read each other's body language, that sort of thing. A, when people say, I'm in that kind of dynamic and it works great, Does it always? Really? If you were a fly on the wall? Maybe not. Does it sometimes though? Yes, absolutely legitimately. However, there is usually some way that that submissive and that dynamic can advocate for themselves if the dominant misses a cue, misses a judgment call, right? That might be plain language. That might be some other way that they've devised. It might mean another series of being so in tuned with your person, you are picking up now this whole new set of body language and resistance 
you know, that sort of vibe that tells you, hmm, maybe the decision I just made about whatever consent issue wasn't a great one, right? Uh, do I advise people to play this way? As a professional, I have to say no. And I'll tell you why. Because even though there are people that legitimately play this way, one, there still has to be a way to revoke consent, even if it's a, if it's a very non-traditional way, even if uh, people in those dynamics don't recognize it as any kind of safe word or stop mechanism, it still exists, right? If it doesn't, if there is no way to opt out, if there is no way to revoke consent, that is not a consensual situation. And the cornerstone of kink is consent. Now, there are people who are well-intentioned, good-hearted people that actually may play like this without a way to opt out. And they might say, well, everything's fine. Everything's absolutely fine. Sure. Up until this point, everything has been absolutely fine. However, you are one misunderstanding, one accidental disaster away from something really bad going down. And even if everybody involved, if their intentions were in the right place, if they only want to be good people and they try as hard as they can to live by that golden rule, they have still not covered all their bases when it comes to consent, and they're playing with fire, and they're not doing kink the way it is to be done. Because again, the cornerstone of kink, aka BDSM, is consent. But again, I want to reiterate, in those cases where there is an opt-out mechanism, even if it's one that's kind of under the radar, not traditional, these folks that say they don't use safe words. When it is successful, it is the vast, vast, vast minority of the time. And you will find lots more folks saying, we don't play with safe words. We've been together for X amount of time and da 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 But if you were to really be a fly on the wall, and see, you know, what percentage of people who say, we do that and it's fine. Is it really working? It's not many. As an educator, even as a, a kink community member, it would be very irresponsible of me to say to new people, to people who maybe aren't even kinky, oh, yeah, sure, it's fine to play without a safe word and to normalize that. Because that is a very nuanced situation, and it is not the norm. And the flip side of that is people with ill intentions will use this to their advantage. They will say, well, you don't need a safe word with me. I can read your body language, right? If I tell you that the people that don't use traditional safe words are the people that really know each other really well and they've established this trust and yada, yada, yada. That play partner that you met three months ago that you're head over heels for, right? We always think we're in great situations when things are good. It's only in retrospect, looking back, they were like, what was I thinking? So if I tell you that's only for couples that really trust each other, of course, you're going to be like, well, that's me. 
Then think about if you are in a situation with someone who is manipulating, with someone who is love bombing you, right? Let's say this person is a dom and you just think they are everything and they are professing their love and care to you by saying, I can read you so well. You are like nobody I've ever met. We're soulmates. We're the, I can read you. Maybe they give you examples. See, I knew what you were thinking. And then you believe it, right? And they manipulate you into not using a safe word. That is not good. So this is one example of clearly understanding why an across-the-board rule exists, why the you-must-always-use-safe-words rule exists. Because one, you truly must always have a way to advocate for your consent. Well, I mean, not always. We're not the boss of you. But what the people in the kink community say, if you're going to play that way, don't call it kink, because that's not what we do. That's irresponsible. That's risky. People could get legitimately hurt. And what we do is founded on consent. There must always be a way to advocate for our consent, whether that's via a traditional safe word, whether that's another stop mechanism that maybe you don't recognize or label as a safe word, but really it's serving the same purpose. And then on top of that, those situations usually occur or when they're successful, that is, because they occur a lot of times when they're really fucked up. But when they're successful and they're actually working and consentful, they occur in relationships that are very solid, very solid. Uh, Those very solid relationships are hard to come by, and we all think that we're in them. So rather than trying to, A, explain all of those caveats, and B, trust that people can really clearly see the situation they're in for what it is without fooling themselves, we just say, you must always use a safe word every time. Because most people feel that it is a pretty good trade-off. We're kind of getting into like college level, you know, philosophy 101 right now. But most people feel it's a pretty good trade-off to invalidate the small handful of people that successfully don't, quote, use safe words, but they are still doing it, quote, right and consentful and have a way to stop. You know, people think it's much better to invalidate that small group of people than to tell a whole bunch of new people, well, yeah, sometimes people don't play with safe words and that's okay. And then see the vast majority of them get hurt, get put into really bad situations. So that's why that rule exists. It's for really good reason to keep people safe. But then we also have the folks, that small minority of folks, for whom this really honestly works for, they say, well, I feel invalidated by saying everybody always must use traditional safe words 100% of the time without exception. You're erasing my dynamic. You're erasing another way. You're misleading people. Yeah. That is also true. Like many things can be true at the same time. 
And there isn't always a neat and tidy answer for everything. And this is one of those times. So even though we're talking about safe words, you can overlay the same situation on so many debates in the kink community, be it like another one is um, mentors, the thought that you should never have a mentor that isn't of your same power dynamic. So if you're a dominant, you should have a dominant mentor. If you're submissive, you have a sub- should have a submissive mentor. And if you are submissive and you have a dominant mentor, that is a red flag. And we say that because the vast majority of the time, it really is a red flag. And it really is a setup to either inadvertently get hurt or have somebody take advantage of you and pull the wool over your eyes. But sometimes it works. Like I'm one of those people. As a dominant, I had a submissive mentor and it was everything. So these rules exist to keep people safe. And we say they're set in stone 100% across the board, even though they aren't necessarily, there are some exceptions. And this issue has become even more illuminated now that we are in online spaces together. There are people who are beginners. There are people who have been doing BDSM for 25 years and know all the ins and outs, and we're all commingling together. So oftentimes when people speak, they will speak at a more beginner level. And again, for good reason, because it keeps people safe. But then we have this problem of invalidating. Or then we have this problem of someone maybe making a piece of content or teaching a class at a a venue where people of all uh, education and background levels are attending. And maybe they're saying something that's a little bit more intermediate or a little bit more advanced. And it seems like a direct contradiction. There is no one easy answer to solve this problem. But a big step is, one, knowing that this problem exists, and then also knowing how to break it down and analyze it to see if it's something you can customize and how risky it is for you to customize it. So when you encounter any sort of rule, first thing you should ask yourself is, why does this rule exist? What purpose? Was it trying to solve? In the case of the safe words, it's trying to keep people safe. In the case of the mentor thing, trying to keep people safe, right? Then the second thing you ask yourself is, based on what's going on now, does this across the board rule still apply? You know, maybe it's a rule that uh, was popularized in the 1980s, right? SSC, like safe, sane, and consensual, really fit what was happening culturally at that time. But now in 2022, it doesn't really fit us so much, right? So ask yourself, does that rule still fit? If it does, say, does it fit me? Does it fit my situation? And when you ask yourself that question, this is the hardest one. Because we have to have the self-awareness and the foresight and the clarity of thought to get past our own bias to answer this question. And knowing that 
even if you're the most self-aware mofo on the face of the earth, knowing that bias can bite us in the ass, just gauging how much bias might be a factor in your analysis may tell you, you know what? Maybe there's something going on that I don't recognize right now. But this issue, this is a safety issue. I'm risking some devastating consequences. So I'm just going to default to the general rule. So for instance, I'm a submissive. I'm new to the lifestyle. I meet a new dominant who I really do feel like I'm clicking with and everything seems to be going great. And they tell me, hey, we can stop using safe words or you don't need a safe word with me. Or, you know, I typically don't use safe words with my submissives because, you know, we play uh, a bit lighter and, and more sun. You, you only need safe words for the real heavy, intense edge play stuff. Hmm. Even if my gut reaction is like, well, I think that dominant might be telling me the truth. Knowing what I know about the situation and about my potential level of bias and things that I'm not seeing, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm just going to go with the general rule of thumb. I'm just going to say, no, man, you know what, I, I need to use some safe words. Because that right there, you know, if they really push back, well, that maybe that is a red flag. I didn't think it was a red flag. But now you're really pushing back on me. Hmm. And that's a complete hypothetical situation. And you can see how much thought it takes. It's a lot. So that's why I tell folks, especially when you're new or you are treading into territory that is new to you, maybe you've been doing kink for a long time, default to that general rule of thumb. If the reason that that rule exists is to keep people safe. So as an educator, I tell people, if you're in that situation as a new submissive, hell, even a new dominant, doesn't matter. Dominants, submissives, they can both use safe words and they can both be taken advantage of. I'll tell that new person, someone tells you that, run. Red flag. Is there a remote chance that maybe that's one of those rare situations where it actually might be on the up and up and totally legit. And that might be a great person. And maybe they really can read you. Is that possible? I mean, sure, it's possible. But winning the lottery is possible. Getting struck by lightning is is possible. Is it likely? Hmm, probably not. Even though we were focusing specifically on safe words, we just went through a scenario where we were deconstructing and evaluating and, and logicking a rule of thumb that has to do with keeping people safe. Now let's focus on another type of rules of thumb that are, quote, supposed to's. These types of supposed to's revolve around what a definition of a word or concept is or a certain way you are supposed to behave. These types of rules tend to be highly customizable as a general rule of thumb. Usually, they're based on preferences or traditions. 
So for instance, you'll hear lots of times like, oh, you're dominant? Well, you're supposed to act like this and that. Or you're submissive? Well, you can't look a dominant in the eye. How dare you? Littles can't be dominant. Bullshit. Who says? Dominance can't be on the receiving end of pegging because pegging is submissive. Who the hell deemed this true? Why can't it be what I want it to be? If I can imagine being a little who is dominant, why can't I do that? It's all make-believe. It's all made up. The perfect example of a dominant little is Veruca Saul. Daddy, buy me a pony because I said so. If you can kink it, you can think it. I know that's really cheesy, but it rhymes and it works. I mean, granted, you know, don't just go rogue and do this stuff without your partner's consent. But as long as you negotiate and agree on whatever behaviors and protocols that you want to have that pertains to behavior or how you embody your role or your archetype and kink, knock your damn socks off. If you can make it work, go for it. So now let's bring this type of rule and customization back to our safe word conversation. There is a common belief that safe words are universal. Maybe not all of them, but one that you hear a lot is the traffic light safe word system. If you make pleasure a priority in your life, your sexual health should also be top of mind. Knowing your STD status protects you and your partners. And now you can discreetly test at home with EverlyWell. EverlyWell is digital healthcare designed for you at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need like the women's health test or food sensitivity test or their STD test, which discreetly allows you to test for seven types of STDs, all from the privacy of your own home. Here's how it works. Everlywell ships products straight to you with everything you need in one package. To take your at-home lab test, simply collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device within days. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide next steps. It's so simple. Over 1 million people have trusted EverlyWell to support their health and wellness goals. And you should too. I love that I can do my medical testing from the privacy of my own home. It's simple, easy, and drop it in the mail. I get my results within days. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. That's E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L.com slash sunny for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash sunny. Are you feeling a little anxious and overwhelmed? These feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. With Dipsy, you can focus on what makes you feel good. 
Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Hear the sexy voices of Sharonis J. Jackson, ER Flightmaster, Luke Cook, and many others in stories like you have never heard before. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they offer written stories too. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Again, that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. There is a common belief that safe words are universal. Maybe not all of them, but one that you hear a lot is the traffic light safe word system. This is where you use red, yellow, and green. And you'll commonly hear people say red means stop. And yellow means, um, you know, in traffic, it means caution. But in kink, it means... I'm about to say red, so you better back off. And green means, I like that, keep going. And since the traffic light system is so popular and it's used in a lot of dungeons and most kinksters know what it is, it's universal. Nope, it's not. And that's actually a common misconception that can get a lot of people into some misunderstandings that don't turn out so well in the consent department. While the general framework is universal, you know, red is usually always stop. So that's that's a pretty common one. But yellow has a lot of different interpretations. And green, although everyone universally looks at green as some form of positive, I like that, this is great. Again, the definitions are different. And if you're not on the same page with your partner, you run into some trouble. So yellow. In some areas, or for some people, yellow might mean I am about to say red. It is too much. So back off, slow down, whatever it is, or I will say for it. But for other people, yellow means I'm at my threshold. So don't go any harder but you can keep going right where you are. And yet for others, yellow might mean I'm about to say red, but I really don't want to. So let's just break for a second and do a check-in to see how we need to readjust. Those are all real different things. And if I'm playing with a partner and I just assume your yellow is my yellow and we are on completely different pages, that could be a not great experience for one or both of us. Same with green. For some folks, 
And in some communities where people do treat this framework as more of a universal framework, green might mean I like things just the way they are. So keep at it. This is great. In other circles, green is, this is easy mode. Like, that's all you got. I could do this all day. Uh, Kick it up a notch. Hit me harder. I can take more. Wow. If I was playing with someone and their definition was the first, and my definition was the second, and I was the dominant, and I was the one hitting, hurting, whatever I was doing, and I thought green meant... I wasn't giving what they could take and I should give more. And then I wailed on them and their green meant I'm fine just the way things are. That's a problem. Hence why during negotiation, especially with a new partner, but even with an existing partner, just to revisit, to make sure you're still on the same page, discuss exactly what those safe words mean so there isn't a consent misunderstanding. And as long as you're on the same page with your partner, you are free to customize this however you want. Earlier, we talked about safety issue types of across-the-board rules. And this one is more of a personal preference. However, if you don't customize your safe words, your consent, etc. And you just go on assumption that, well, we must be on the same page. Don't safe words always mean the same thing to everybody? Isn't the protocol we go into after safe words the same for everybody? If you don't do that, and you're actually not on the same page, this is a case where not highly customizing your kink could turn into a safety issue. When it comes to safe words and consent, the more customization, the better. This is a tool that you want custom fit for you and your needs. Here's an example. In their safe words, some people even add, they'll add blue means I'm having a medical issue and that's my medical safe word. They'll add other colors into their safe word system because safe words, again, are a communication tool. And you should be able to customize them in a way that works the best for you and your play partners for your specific situation. So the folks that added in blue, that works for them to know, hey, I don't want you to say red if there's a medical emergency. I want you to say blue. That's going to help me get in the right headspace and understand what's going on. Maybe that's going to help you, whatever. For me personally, I that's a lot to remember for me. Like I probably wouldn't want to customize in that way because I'm like, oh, that's a lot of colors to remember. Uh, it's just like for me, say red and then we'll figure it out, right? But maybe if I'm playing with you and you're like, that absolutely does not work for me. I need to also have blue. Then we talk and we figure out what's going to work for both of us. How can we meet in the middle? Maybe you having blue is super, super important to you, but uh, it's not that big of a deal to me. So I'll give in. I'll let you have your blue, you know, or maybe it's a big deal to both of us and we meet in the middle, or maybe it's such a big deal to both of us and we can't meet in the middle and we decide, you know what? Maybe we're not good play partners and we're not compatible. All of that is customizable and you can make it whatever you want. 
Another way that people assume that safe words are universal is that when somebody calls a safe word, that that means that the scene is completely over. And when that safe word is called, it indicates something kind of serious is happening. That is not universal. It's perfectly fine to use a safe word because you have an itch on your nose and your hands are tied and it's really driving you batty and you can't, you know, get into, it's taking you out of your headspace or you have to stop and go pee or you're really winded and you need to just take a break and have some water. Those quote little things are legitimate needs. And if you feel you may have to speak up, right? Whether you're the submissive or the dominant, because anyone can use a safe word. Have a word for that. Whether that's, we can use our regular safe word, red, to mean I have an itch on my nose. That's totally cool. Or maybe you negotiate with your partner like, "Mm, you know what, I would rather keep red for true emergencies or true like, I want the scene to stop forever. I'm done. So why don't we think of like a secondary safe word for like, you know, I have a cramp, I need to take a break. Maybe that safe word's you know, pineapple or something. Again, safe words are a tool. They're a communication tool, and you can customize them in a way that they work best for you and whoever you're playing with. So whatever you can think up, if it works, you make the rules. This is also another reason why assuming, oh, yeah, safe words are only for emergencies, and then someone calls a safe word because they have an itch on their ankle, and you're having a damn heart attack as let's say the top thinking you did something wrong. Oh my God, they're safe for it. And they're just like, Oh no, my toe feels funny. Right. Talk about that ahead of time. And even though having to stop and take a breather or to scratch your nose or that sort of thing seems really little. And why does somebody need a safe word for those little things? They're not really that important. There's another side to that. Me, as somebody with sensory issues, if I have a, quote, little thing that I need to stop and take care of during a scene, and let's say I'm in a submissive position where I, you know, tied up and I I can't otherwise take care of that seemingly small discomfort, that is a big deal to me. That ruins my entire experience. So in that case, even though it seems small, that is a consent issue. So if I am playing and I do not have a way to say I need to stop and take care of a quote little thing, I do not have full autonomy and I don't have full consent. So I'm going to give this general rule of thumb that's kind of a safety issue to folks. If you're advocating, if you say, I need this, I need a way to safe word for, quote, small things, or to just take a break. If I safe word, it doesn't mean I'm done. It's not an emergency. It's not a big deal. And your play partner says, no, you can't have that. That's a problem. That's a consent issue. To me, that's a red flag. So throwing that out there, 
in your negotiations, if someone's telling you you can't have something that has to do with your consent, please take a pause and really think about that dynamic or that relationship. I also said about safe words that not only do they stop the action, either forever or for temporary, right? Um, They also set in place or set in motion a predetermined protocol. So what do I mean by that? Safe words are great because they're a shorthand way of saying a bunch of things with one word. So maybe you've negotiated your safe word means I am done. We need to go into aftercare mode. Aftercare mode means, you know, I want my blanket. I need some water. I need to, I need some praise to be told I did well, whatever we've negotiated. So I don't have to tell you that in the moment because I'm not in the headspace to even think clearly, but I have already told you ahead of time what I need. If let's say we're safe wording because uh, I was emotionally triggered and I'm having a really hard time. And we're not going into our aftercare routine, but we're going into what we call our trigger plan. So I know ahead of time, I have the potential to be triggered. This is These are the things I need to ground me. This is what I need you to do if I am exhibiting these certain behaviors, right? Because again, I'm not going to be able to tell you that in the moment because I'm not going to be in the headspace. But we've negotiated this protocol. And for me, when it's just a general safe word, because sometimes we safe word for a leg cramp, sometimes we safe word because it's like a big deal and I can't take anymore, right? My initial protocol, unless it's an emergency or emotional trigger, is we stop and we talk about it and we figure out what's going on and we take it from there. If, it, if we're done, then the aftercare plan goes into place, et cetera. One of the points that was brought up in the email was aftercare. That's a big debate in the community. Oh, you must do aftercare. No, you don't have to do aftercare. This is one of those things that is completely customizable. The one rule is you need to talk about it ahead of time. You need to say, I'm a person who doesn't do aftercare. So we need to think of a plan B. If you are a person that absolutely needs it, we need to think of a middle ground that will satisfy both of us. Maybe that's another person comes in and helps you with your aftercare. Maybe that's we agree that I get to walk away and just take a 10 minute breather by myself and collect myself And you can keep yourself occupied and comforted for that 10 minutes. And then after that 10 minutes is over, I will come and do your requested aftercare. So we're both getting what we need. And there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's what you figure out and negotiate with your partner. And guess what? If you can't come to a common ground, can't figure out what works for both of you, then maybe you aren't compatible with each other. But there's a caveat there. Let's say, I commit as a top to aftercare. Unexpectedly, I get really triggered during the scene. Um, Something happens during the scene. Maybe uh, something happens where I feel betrayed by my partner. You know, whether I'm on top or the bottom, it doesn't matter. Um, Something happens that feels like a consent violation to me. But maybe to you, you're like, I don't even know what happened. Did I? I didn't mean, right? If that's the case, I'm not going to want to provide aftercare to you, even though I agreed. 
And that's legit. Like, there, again, there's no right answer to this because then you're leaving someone high and dry that needs aftercare. Talk about this in your negotiations. You know, say, I, I commit 100% to performing whatever aftercare that we agreed on. Cool, we'll do it. Your, I'm fine with what you want. Except if some drastic circumstance happens, let's say I have a health issue and I become, you know, disoriented or incapacitated, or we have an issue where I feel, um, you know, that you violated my consent and I am feeling some sort of way towards you after that scene that is not good. Then you know what? In those very extreme circumstances, I reserve the right to back off. Yeah. Can somebody lie? Yeah, they can. You know, this is golden rule time, like trying to be the best person you can. And not everybody is, which sucks. Um, we do the best we can as human beings. We always know any interaction we have, any interaction, not just in kink, with another human being where they promise to be X, Y, and Z, sometimes that doesn't happen. Usually that is way more the exception than the rule, but that's part of humaning, unfortunately. I also want to throw in here that you don't have to give a reason to your partner as to why you are safe wording, why you're revoking consent in any way, shape, or form. That is purely up to you. If you want to divulge that to them, fine. But oftentimes what we'll see is, you know, we'll, we'll have the other partner say, well, why? Why? As if it's a judgment call or as if they can determine whether your reason for revoking your consent, calling a safe word, or even revoking your aftercare is valid. First of all, that's none of anyone's business but yours. Secondly, it could very well be that in that moment, you can't even verbalize it yourself. Even if you're like, you know what, I'm fine telling my partner or partners, whatever the reason is, even if it's really personal and intimate, just like, I can't discern what I'm feeling right now. I just know I need to stop. I just know something's wrong. But I couldn't explain it to you if, if I tried. That is all legitimate. You don't have to give a reason, nor should you expect a reason from other people. Now, that gets a little hinky with the whole aftercare thing, right? Like, let's say I promise to give you aftercare, but in the scene, something goes real funky, and I feel like I had my consent violated, and I don't trust you right now. And the last fucking thing I want to do is go cuddle with you right? Or have sex or whatever I agreed. You can revoke consent at any time. That even means for aftercare. But I know that puts a lot of folks in a spot if they're like, but you're revoking consent just because you're a jerk and you're trying to get out of it. Hopefully that's not the case, right? But we can never guarantee that. But at that moment in time, Let's say someone violated my consent. I don't want to give aftercare. I also, I'm kind of fucked up about this right now. And maybe I don't want to talk to you about it. Maybe that feels like a, 
a safety issue for me, whether that's maybe it's an emotional safety issue for me that I don't want to bring this up. Maybe it's hard for me to verbalize. Maybe I can't bring it up. Whatever it is, I shouldn't be obligated to, right? But that puts everyone in an interesting, and I'm using interesting in a very weird kind of finger quotesy way, position. Because let's say I am denying aftercare to you for a very, very valid reason to me, but I can't verbalize that reason to you, or I don't want to, or I don't, I'm not obligated to. From your end, I just look like a jerk. It's real awkward. Again, this doesn't have a neat and tidy answer. This is messy humanness that we risk when we human with other people. And not everything has an easy, you know, that's right or it's wrong, it's good or it's bad kind of answer. Negotiating is very much like coming up with a series of hypothetical if this then that's, right? It Well, if something happens, if I have a medical thing and I've promised to have sex with you for aftercare. And now I'm not feeling it for whatever reason. Yeah, I have to tell you, for whatever reason, I'm not feeling it. No, that's a possibility. Know that in my good faith, I am telling you this in good faith, and I'm making the promise that I will give you this aftercare in good faith. And if I'm not giving you the aftercare, know there's good reason even if I'm not going to divulge it to you right now, right? And that's a really messy, that does not feel good for anybody, right? But no, as the person who was expecting that aftercare, have a plan B. Like if that's some aftercare that you genuinely really need and it's going to like fuck your shit up if you don't get it, try to think of some sort of plan B that you can do alone, that you can, right? And also know that when you're playing, Of course, we plan on all of our scenes going well. We plan on our scenes being magical and wonderful and going perfectly just how we planned. There is always a risk of something going wrong. That could be physically going wrong. Somebody gets hurt. That could be uh, somebody gets emotionally hurt, whether it's triggered, whether it's you know, some consent things happen, something goes bad between the people playing in whatever way, shape or form. It could just be, hey, I planned on doing the scene and I thought we were going to feel this way and it was going to create this sort of experience. And it completely fell flat or completely did the opposite to your emotions and your body than I thought it was going to do. And it was not good. You, no matter how hard you try, how much you plan, how well you know your partner, you can never guarantee or even count on having a good scene. And having a bad scene, even if it's nobody's fault, it's just the way everything shook out having a bad scene is going to happen. So in your elaborate, if this, then that strategizing during your negotiations, plan for that. What do we do 
if our scene falls flat? What do we do if we feel kind of funky? What do we do if these things happen? And maybe you don't have to negotiate that every single time if you're long-term play partners, right? But have that conversation at some point. Have those what-ifs in your back pocket and know that even if all your scenes have gone perfectly thus far, it's going to happen. Just like sometimes we have bad days, right? We have a bad day at work. We have a bad weekend. We have a bad night's sleep. Nobody goes to bed planning to have a bad night's sleep, but sometimes it just happens. So that's a risk that we always assume in kink. And it scares a lot of people. People think like, oh, my scenes always have to be perfect. And if they're not, like just the thought of it is horrifying. No, shit's going to be kind of eh sometimes. And that's part of life. That's part of the journey. That's the risk that we all take when we enter into agreement with somebody to play even when we all go into it with the best intentions. So keep that in mind. And so I have some thoughts at this point, because like, I can talk, can you tell? Uh, There's so much I haven't even got to. For instance, in the email, you know, I didn't address when uh, can you negotiate in the middle of a scene? When should you not? What is the rule on that? They always say, never negotiate in the middle of a scene ever, ever, ever. Is that true? I also had some other thoughts like, what about alcohol or being under the influence and play? We always hear, never, ever, 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 ever play when you are under the influence of anything. There can be a lot of slippery slope exceptions to that. So how do we deal with that rule? Or how do we deal with that rule when somebody has an intox fetish and that's a part of their kink? Or even, you know, things like never hit somebody without a warm-up. You you can't use safe words outside of a BDSM scene. I've heard that one. Oh, submissives can abuse safe words. That's another one. And never make safe wording a goal of your scene. You should never, ever try to get somebody to safe word. Uh, You can tell by the way I've said all of these that there's all sorts of gray areas. So um, I could keep going and talk for another hour, but I don't think that's productive for anyone. So tell me. Like, hit me up on Twitter, I don't know, Instagram, wherever you see, you know, I post stuff all over on social media. Do you want a part two? Do you want to hear those other things? Or is this just a lot of minutia? Or is the minutia good? Because we never talk about the BDSM minutia. Uh, tell me. All right. Until next time. Bye, American fuckers. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. 
you know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.